Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 11. Jeremiah chapter 11. Tonight's message is the broken covenant. The broken covenant. During the time that King Josiah was on the throne, Jeremiah was basically standing alone. He was standing alone because he was standing with God. And many times you find yourself in that position when you take a stand for God. King Josiah was excited when the workers who were repairing the temple found the book of the law in the temple. And finding the book of the law led to a movement that at least for a while cleansed the kingdom of idolatry. Now this movement is usually called Josiah's revival, but it wasn't a true revival in the sense of revival. It was more like a reformation. It was more like an improvement, a temporary improvement. And that's because the people obeyed the law only superficially. But in their hearts, they were still holding on to their useless idols. And because Jeremiah knew this and understood this, and he knew the shallowness of their unrepentant heart, he didn't say too much during Josiah's reformation. Because he knew that the people were, what they were doing, they they, they were doing in secret, and that they would return to their sins the first chance they got. So in this section of Jeremiah's prophecy, he recorded the sins of the nation, and he begged the people to return to the Lord while there was still time. So beginning with chapter 11 here, through chapter 12, Jeremiah gives this great message after the law has been read to the people. Now remember, after God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, he went on to say that there would be certain judgments if the law was disobeyed. Now these are the things that Jeremiah is calling their attention to, the different parts of the law that specify the way that we are to live our lives, the way that you treat your neighbor, the way that you do your business, the kind of social life that you're living. And there's a lot of sexual sin today, even in the church. Men in leadership, pastors, who have gotten involved with another woman and they leave their wives to marry another woman and think they can still serve in a leadership role. I believe when they've broken that vow, they can no longer be in the pastorate. And I believe that based on 1 Timothy 3, 2, where it says a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. The qualification for that leadership. Jeremiah makes it very clear that if you've done that, you've taken a detour from God and are far away from Him. A lot of people talk about being fundamental. I mean, right on in their doctrine, correct in the Word of God. And and boy, they just stick to the doctrine. And that's very important, and you should be. But you know what's just as important? Being just as fundamental and correct in the kind of life that you're living you can't say one thing about, oh man, I, I, I'm, the, the word of God is fundamental to my life and then live opposite what you say you believe. How honest are you? How clean are you in your living? And that's what Jeremiah is, in, is insisting on here. Living pure lives for God. The people didn't acknowledge that they had, that, that that they had a need their need to walk with God or to be close to Him, just like a lot of people do today. 
So that little bit of background, let's begin in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And Jeremiah says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jeremiah's message from the Lord here is strongly connected to the book of Deuteronomy. The Hebrew name of the book of Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy, again in Hebrew, is Hadabaharim. It means the words. It's all, it also refers to the terms of the covenant. The words and, and covenant are the same thing. A covenant is a legal agreement of, or relationship between individuals, between nations, or in Israel's case, between a nation and its God. So this covenant was between Israel and God. And the covenant is specified rights, it specified obligations and responsibilities of the parties involved who were entering into the argument. We read this covenant in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. And it says this, Now King Josiah sent them together, all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimony and his statutes statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people took a stand for the covenant. When the law was found and when it was read to the people, King Josiah called all the elders together and all the leaders and they all made an oath that they were going to follow God's word. King Josiah and the people had publicly promised the Lord that they would, they would obey the conditions of this, of this covenant. And there's no doubt that the king, Josiah, was sincere. But with most of the people, their obedience was just a matter of going along with the crowd and doing what everybody else was doing. That was pretty much the history of the Jews. The Jews' history was a record of covenants. God made the covenants, the people broke them. And this was a constant thing with them. He made a covenant with Abraham when he called him to leave Ur and go to Canaan. And he confirmed this covenant with Isaac and Jacob. The Abrahamic covenant is the foundation for all the blessings Israel had received from the Lord. At Sinai, God made another covenant with Israel. One that involved obedience to his holy law. Exodus 19 and 20, Ten Commandments. Exodus 19.5 says this, Now therefore, if... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Notice the condition. God has his part. We do our part. The people agreed to obey the Lord, but it didn't take very long for them to disobey. While they were still at Sinai, Aaron helped the people at the people's request to make an idol, a golden calf, and they worshiped it. And before Israel entered the promised land, the land of Canaan, Moses looked over the covenant, that is the book of Deuteronomy, and reminded the people of their commitment and their responsibilities to the Lord. Their possession of the land depended on God's promises to Abraham. Possessing and enjoyment of the land depended on their obedience to God's law. Again, the conditions. 
Moses looked over the blessings and the curses in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. And then later on, Joshua reaffirmed the blessings and curses in the promised land in Joshua chapter 8. The Jewish people knew that God would bless them if, if they were true to him. And that he would chasten them if they were disobedient. Look at verse 3. And then, and then Jeremiah, and, and say to them, thus says the Lord. So God tells Jeremiah to say to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. Before they found the book of the law, the people didn't know the law. Now they do. It's been read to them. Now, because they know the law, they have a great responsibility to obey the law. So God says, hey, Jeremiah, tell them this, now that they know the law. Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. The word cursed here suggests the negative results of not obeying the terms of the instructions of the covenant as reviewed in Deuteronomy 27, uh, 26 and all of chapters 27 and 28. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. You see, with knowledge comes responsibility. You know, a person would probably better, be better off if they were a heathen in some faraway unknown part of the world who worshipped idols than a person who sits in a church month after month, year after year, where the word of God is preached faithfully, but you haven't done anything to respond to it. And it's true. Because you see, that heathen who has not heard the word of God, who's in some faraway part of the world, they still have an opportunity. They may still have the gospel brought to them and be saved. But that person who sits in a church and who's heard the gospel and rejects it, for sure God is going to judge them because they are responsible for what they've heard. Verse 4. He says, which I commanded your fathers. In other words, tell them about this, com- this covenant that I've commanded to your fathers. In that day, I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, obey my voice and do according to all that I command you so that you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now, the word iron furnace or the phrase iron, it, it comes right out of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20, which is set in a background of a warning to the people there against worshiping idols. And he says here, obey my voice. Obedience is the key to blessing. And you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, the Lord's not blessing me and I'm not receiving any blessings. And the Bible says that you know, we, he heaps upon us blessings daily. And if we're not receiving blessings, maybe we should look at the life that we're living. Are we obeying the laws of the Lord? Are we obeying God in his word? The land of Egypt had been an iron furnace to Israel. That that represents a place of suffering. Isaiah said in Isaiah 48, 10, Behold, God says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. But Canaan was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, according to verse 5 a place of prosperity and a place of freedom. And God described the promised land, that is Canaan, to Moses in the same way. And Moses gave the same description to the people. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 17, 
It says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the sad thing. The nation Israel would rather have the pots of meat, the flesh pots of Egypt, than the milk and the honey of Canaan. And the people were always complaining about wanting to go back to Egypt. Now, there was a rule made for kings in Deuteronomy 17, verse 16. It says the kings or the king, whoever was king, the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. God told his people, you are to never go back there again. Once God has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, we're not to go back to the kingdom of darkness. We're not to go back to the world. You know, when, when, when God led the, the children of Israel through the Red Sea, and he took them across the Red Sea, and they looked back. You know, they're coming out of Egypt. They're going through the Red Sea. They're escaping their, 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 that iron furnace. That, that, that slavery they were, that bondage they were in there in Egypt. Again, a type of the world. When that, when that sea closed up, that was a picture that said, you can't go back that way again. Never going back to Egypt. Never going back to the world. Look at verse 5. He says, that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And I answered and said, so be it. Lord, that I may establish the oath. That covenant that he made with them. He wants to establish it. That is the blessing of the land as promised to Abraham. It was dependent upon the, co- the loyalty to the covenant by the people. The words Judah and Jerusalem in verse 6 are, are the ordinary way of referring to the whole nation of Israel. And to that, in verse 5, Jeremiah answered, so be it, Lord. So be it to your word. So be it to what you have said, which is the way Israel was supposed to respond to God's covenant. But you see, Jeremiah was really walking alone because the people weren't interested in doing the will of God. If the nation had repented and they had humbly returned to the Lord... The people could have prevented the terrible judgment that would be brought by the armies of Babylon. But it was because of their hypocrisy that made that judgment only worse for them. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, hear the words of this covenant and do them. Notice, there's the bottom line. Hear the words of this covenant and do what I say. My word, we are do them. During King Josiah's reformation, when the nation seemed to be turning back to the Lord, God commanded Jeremiah, hey, you go through the streets of, Jer- of Jerusalem and you proclaim to the people all of these words. And that's the duty of preachers to tell all the people the conditions of my covenant. He says, hear them and do them. The words that describe the correct response to God's law. James says in chapter 1, verse 25, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the law of liberty is God's word. 
he says, and continues in it. Notice, continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word of God. Notice, this one will be blessed in what he does. The person who looks into the word of God, continues in the word of God, does not forget about what he's read, but he does what he's, what he's read. He does the work of the, of the word of God. That person will be blessed in what he does. You see, it's not what we hear. It's not what we know. It's what we do where we receive the blessings. Both God and Jeremiah knew that the nation's disobedience wasn't, uh, 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 nations, uh, wasn't from the heart. God and Jeremiah knew that the nation's obedience, I should say, wasn't from the heart. It didn't matter what the people were doing in the temple. It didn't matter about all the motions they were going through, all the ritual they were going through in the temple. The people were still going to their high places and they were honoring the pagan gods of the nations around them. You know, it's a picture of, of, of people, you know, they, they can go to church and they can raise their hands, they can sing little songs, they can get all the emotion in the Lord, but then go out and, and, and live in the world. Ezekiel hit the nail on the head when he described the people's sin. God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 14.3, Son of man, that was a, a, a name that, that God called Ezekiel. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. Notice that. Their idols were in their hearts. Idols in the heart stop communication with God and leads to practicing sin in your life. You can't expect idols to be in your heart and for God to be in your heart. Again, there's no room for both. God alone must be ruling in your heart, sitting on the throne of your heart. Isaiah 59, 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. A hundred years earlier, Isaiah had described Judah's empty, phony worship. And he compared Jerusalem to Sodom and Gomorrah and Isaiah 1.10. Because the people brought many, many sacrifices, but God didn't want them, nor did he need them. God says, your incense are an abomination to me. He said, your, your, your yearly feasts, they were nothing more than just sinful activities. And he says, I hate them all and I'm tired of them. Isaiah 1, 19 and 20, God says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. Here God told Jeremiah to remind the people about both the blessings and the curses that were written in the covenant. Deuteronomy 27 and 28. If God's blessings couldn't encourage the people to obey his commandments, then maybe the fear of God's judgment might cause them to obey. It's, you know, it, God had to treat the people like little children. You know, children who obey so they can get a reward or, or they obey so that they don't, they don't get a spanking. He wanted so much for them to obey just for this pure and simple reason that they loved him. That's why. Just like his parents, isn't that why we want our children to do what we... Just because they love us. Not for a reward or not to avoid a spank, because they love us. That's all God wanted. He just want you know, that, that, that they wanted to please him. Nothing more.
verses 7 and 8. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them uh, out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil, their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. The Hebrew phrase, uh, phrase earnestly exhorted emphasizes the history of God's continual rising early. He earnestly exhorted the people by having his prophets rising early. That is coming all indicating God's special attention that he gave to Israel. And he pleased here. He pleased for loyalty from his nation. From the exodus until the present, until the present, the message that had been the same from the beginning, obey. From the beginning to the present, the message was for them to obey. It's always been the same. It will always be the same. Incline their ear also means to obey. The Hebrew word dictates means stubbornness or obstinacy. And then he demanded... Good, trusting faith on the part of his people. He says in verse 6, Hear the words of this covenant, notice, and do them. Do them. It's where the blessings come from. But he says, you know what? Israel hasn't kept the vows that they made to me at Sinai. Your fathers didn't obey me. Your fathers didn't incline their ear. They didn't listen. Instead, he says in verse 8, they followed the dictates of their own evil the stubbornness of their heart. Jeremiah 9 and 10. And the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. And the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Jeremiah says, the Lord spoke to me again. And he said, I've discovered a conspiracy against me, God says, among the people of Judah and Jerusalem. They've returned to their sins, the sins of their forefathers. They've, they refuse to listen to me and they're worshiping other gods. Israel and Judah, he says, have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors, their forefathers. The word conspiracy here means a plot with dangerous intentions. The people turned back to the old ways of their forefathers who had rebelled against God and the covenant that they had just recently renewed under Josiah. The words gone after means to serve or to worship. They've gone after other gods. They've gone to serve or to worship other gods. Both the northern and southern kingdoms had practiced idolatry. And had broken the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before you. And because of this deliberate unfaithfulness, judgment is declared on Judah. Notice in verse 11. Therefore the Lord says, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which though they cry out to me, notice, I will not listen to them. Because the heart of the nation was evil, God was going to bring calamity on the people. And he said, nobody is going to escape the judgment that I bring. And you know what? Nobody can escape God's judgment when sin is deeply rooted in, in a person's character. 
He says, even, even if the people cry out to me in distress because of the calamity that I'm going to bring upon them, he says, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to hear them. Verse 12. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense. Notice, but they, their gods, will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. This coming calamity was foreseen. And God says the people are going to cry out to all of their false gods, all of the gods that they worship. But not one of them will be able to save them in their time of trouble. Verse 13. For according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah. And according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. He says, because you have just as many gods as cities and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the number of altars that you have, you set them up to the shameful thing. That is the altars to burn incense to Baal. And because of these things, notice what he says in verse 14, because of these things, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of, or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. God says, hey, Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. Don't pray for their good. And when they fast, he says in verse 14, 11 and 12, he says, when they fast, he says, I'm not going to hear them. I'm not going to hear their cry. And when they offer their burnt offering and their grain offering, I'm not going to accept it. Now, when you first hear this command, it, it's kind of shocking to hear God tell Jeremiah, hey, don't pray for these people. We're always talking about, hey, pray for them, pray for them. We, we just believe in, in, in praying. And we should. But he says here, I won't listen to the people if they pray. And he, here's what we need to understand. There comes a time when God has to give out justice. And sin brings its own terrible consequences. But if the people would repent, if the people, I'm sorry, if the people wouldn't repent and they continued in their sin, it didn't ha- matter how much they prayed or how much Jeremiah prayed, it wouldn't stop God's judgment. You see, their only hope was, was repentance. Being sorry, truly sorry for their sins. And when you're truly sorrowful for your sin, you forsake that sin. You, 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 you don't do it anymore. You turn from that sin and you turn to God. You know, how can we keep praying for God to help us if we haven't committed our lives to him? God's blessings come when we're committed to him. Not when we thoughtlessly hang on to our sinful ways. Verses 15 and 16. What has my beloved to do in my house? having done lewd deeds with many, and the holy flesh has passed from you when you do evil, then you rejoice. The Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. God makes his condemnation known 
even more in verses 15 and 16. He says, what right do my beloved people have to come into my temple? When they've done so many immoral things. He says, can their vows and their sacrifices stop their their destruction? He says, they actually rejoice in doing evil. And once I called them, uh, I, I once called them a thriving olive tree. I called them an olive tree, a beautiful tree to see, a tree that's full of good fruit. But he says, but now I have seen, I have sent the fury of their enemies to burn them with fire, leaving them charred and broken. Jeremiah seems to be saying no amount of sacrifices, no amount of offerings, no matter how costly, could ever be a substitute for wholehearted dedication and commitment to God. Judah here is compared to a beautiful olive tree which in the beginning, it was beautiful. And it was fruitful. But it's become diseased and now unfruitful. And God says her branches are going to be consumed by fire with the noise of a great tumult, which is the fury of their enemies. Verse 17. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. God planted the tree. Since God planted this lovely and fruitful tree, he could also destroy it. But it's Judah's disobedience of the covenant that's brought her to this place of ruin. She did it to herself. God just didn't do this out of, you know, just capriciousness. They brought it upon themselves. Verses 18 and 19. Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter, and I didn't know, uh, I didn't know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit and let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name may be remembered no more. So Jeremiah, faithfully carrying out his duties, the duties that God gave him to carry out, Jeremiah unexpectedly finds out that his relatives and his neighbors in Anathoth were planning to kill him. And this really messed with Jeremiah's head as it would anybody else's. He finds out that his friends and relatives are planning to kill him. And the rest of the passage here deals with Jeremiah talking about this with God and about the value and the meaning of his call. I mean, that will really mess with your mind when you think, I am doing the will of God. I've been doing the will of God. I've been doing it faithfully. And, and, and people want to kill me? Lord, what, what, what's the value of my ministry? What's, what's the meaning of my call? You know, when, when I'm going to end up like this or I'm being treated like this. The conspiracy against Jeremiah resulted from the people's rejection of God's word. Because if, you see, if they had accepted the word of God, they would have honored Jeremiah. And they would have listened to what Jeremiah had to say. And you'd think that the priests in Anathoth would have had, would have had more smarts 
than to listen to the false prophets. But again, it shows us that being a religious leader doesn't guarantee that, that they have spiritual wisdom. The men of Anathoth, which was Jeremiah's hometown, they plotted to kill Jeremiah. Why? Because of his message. God's word. It convicted them. They didn't like hearing it. Instead of them repenting, what did they decide? They said, let's kill the messenger. But there's, there's a slight problem with that. They might kill the messenger, but it doesn't change the message. If Jeremiah doesn't bring it, guess what? There will be another and another and another. And we've seen that from day one to today. The message of God is still being proclaimed. And it always will be. Always will be. But they had another reason for wanting to kill Jeremiah. Because they were loyal Jews. And being loyal Jews, they felt that Jeremiah's prophecies were harmful to the welfare of the Jewish nation that others, other than Jews, might become a part of it. Jeremiah preached coming judgment from Babylon while the false prophets were uh, preaching messages of peace. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jeremiah insisted that the people obey the law and bring their sacrifices to the temple and not to the neighborhood shrines, the high places where they worship their idols. Some of them were still dedicated to their idols, and the priests didn't like that. That Jeremiah was saying, hey, obey the law and bring your sacrifices to the temple in commitment to God. Not to the high places where you still go out and dedicate your idols. Jeremiah was in favor of Babylon, while the rulers were in favor of Egypt. In other words, Jeremiah was out, out of step with his times. Just like they tell us today, we are out of step with the times. We're obsolete. We're archaic. This is a new world, a new time, a new culture. Solomon said, hey, nothing's the same. Sin is sin. It always will be. Man's heart is just, it's, it's more corrupt today, I believe, than it was back then. So again, Jeremiah was out of step with his times because, you see, he was determined to walk with God. And as long as you de- are determined, you have made up your mind, I'm going to walk with God, hey, you're going to be out of step with this world. We see that now. We see the hatred of God. We see the hatred of the word of God. We see the hatred of Christianity. We see the hatred of the church. Because it stands against what the world approves of. And what they say is okay and is normal. As long as you determine to walk with God like Jeremiah did, you're going to walk alone. You're going to walk alone. God is with you. But you're going to walk by yourself in that, in that walk. Until God warned Jeremiah about the conspiracy, he didn't know anything about the plot to kill him. And when he found out, he felt like a helpless lamb, he says. Notice, like a docile lamb going to the slaughter. Verse 20. 
But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. Even though Jeremiah found out about the plot to kill him, it messed with his mind, and that's normal. But he didn't panic. He didn't run. He didn't hide. He didn't quit. He didn't tell God, I'm done. If this is the way you're going to treat me, God, and if this is the way you're going to allow people to deal with me, you know, as I'm serving you, and, and this is, you know, then I don't want to be in ministry anymore. All Jeremiah could do was commit himself and his enemies to the Lord and trust God to do the work. Psalm 37, we read, Do not fret because of evildoers. Trust in the Lord. I love this part. Feed on his faithfulness. That verse really ministers to me. Because you know what happens in these kind of situations? We feed on the problem. We feed on the fear. We feed on our tears. We fear on the stress. We fear of all the possibilities, all the things that could have. Feed on his faithfulness. And it will take all those other things away. It says, and commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You see, Jeremiah's eye was on God who judges righteously. He's our comfort when people want to do us harm, when people want to do us wrong. And it's comforting to know that we have a God that we can go to who fights our battles. God knew the integrity of Jeremiah's heart and that he wasn't the man that the people made him out to be. He knew the wickedness that was in the people's hearts, even though they cleverly tried to hide their wickedness. Jeremiah prays judgment against them. He says to the Lord, let me see your vengeance on them, Lord. In other words, do whatever's right. Do whatever you please, God. This prayer was a prediction that he would see God's vengeance on them. And he leaves the decision totally to the judgment of God. Lord, to you, I reveal my cause. Lord, I've told you my situation. I've committed it all to you. Do whatever you deem necessary. Man, what a comfort to know that when we are wrong, well, that we have a God to turn to, a God to turn our problems over to, and it's our duty then to commit to him with a promise to let him do whatever he wants to do, to submit to him, to submit whatever he decides to do, and to accept it and to not tell him what to do. Verse 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life and saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord lest you die by our hand. The men of Anathoth insisted that Jeremiah not prophesy in the name of the Lord. They wanted Jeremiah dead. If he didn't stop preaching God's message, they threatened to kill him. They had made up their minds to shut him up or to kill him. The reason they wanted to kill him was his prophesying in the name of the Lord without their permission. That is the permission from the leaders of the city, which he was a member of. And he wasn't prophesying comforting comforting words like the false prophets did. Verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. So God announces the sentence for their crime. He says, I'm going to punish them. Let me deal with them, Jeremiah. I'm going to look into it. I'll take care of it. 
If Jeremiah would have given in to their command, that is the false prophet's command, the, the leaders of the town, he would have denied his calling. He would have de- denied his person. He would have denied his God. The threat of death to, death to Jeremiah, it was answered by punishment of the young men as well as their children. It says in verse 22, notice, the young men shall die by the sword. Even though they were young priests, even though they weren't men of war, their character could not protect them. And he says, and their sons and daughters at home shall die by famine, which is a more terrible death than dying by the sword. As it says in Lamentations 4.9, those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger, for these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The prediction of the famine was fulfilled when the city was surrounded by the Babylonians in the days of Zedekiah. We close now with verse 23. And there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring, bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even the, even the year of their punishment. So the destruction is going to be final. He says, nobody's going to be left. Notice he says, there will be no remnant of them. No children will be born to the next generation. They wanted Jeremiah's life. So they're going to die. They wanted to kill him. So that he would be, notice verse 18 says, so that he would be cut off from the land of the living, so that he would be forgotten forever. So evil was brought upon the people. It's payback, cause and effect, for their opposition to God's message and God's messenger. And then Jeremiah is going to see his desire upon his enemies. We need to commit it to the Lord, trust in the Lord, let him deal with our enemies and our problems, whatever they might be. Father, we thank you so much for this encouraging chapter, Lord. Father, when threats come upon us, Lord, when people come against us in whatever form, let us not run, Father. Let us not panic. Let us not throw in the towel. But let us stand. Though we feel we stand alone, we know that God is with us. So Lord, may that be an encouragement to us, God. Jesus promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And to be always with us to the end of the age. And in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good, good, uh, good cheer because I have overcome the world. We have such wonderful encouragement, Lord. We thank you, God. So any of those that might be going through any problems right now, any situations, God, we know that you are there. You are with them from the beginning to the end. And we thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.